Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About, with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer, recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are and that we are not alone. Join me in guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the whole podcast. I am just, I'm so pleased that you all enjoyed the episode with, uh, who was it with? Hannah (laughs) from Alternative Classical. She is fab and we had a really, really great time talking together about making classical music inclusive and wider and open to a vast array of audiences, which is not dissimilar to what we're going to be talking about today. So today I'm talking to Ella Taylor. Ella is a soprano who is currently freelancing, but has recently won the second prize in the coveted Kathleen Ferrier Award. They are also a past member of the National Opera Studio. And Ella's also been featured on Jess Gillum's This Classical Life, which is a fab podcast, another another one in the classical podcast family. Um, So, yeah, it's just incredible to talk to them about their just amazing journey through the often quite bigoted and backwards world of classical music and how to be a different queer person in this industry that feels quite far behind other artistic industries. Um, So we talk about how to be a good ally as a musician. We talk about Ella's journey with communicating their identity to people that might not understand and how to go about that. We also talk about being a soprano, what that means, and the gendered kind of construct that the singing world has and how that is in both both senses a good thing, but also a thing that does need to change. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. I was just delighted to interview and talk to Ella. They are just so inspiring to me and I have a huge amount of respect and urge you all to listen to this. This is definitely one of the most important things that we don't talk enough about in our profession and I have so much gratitude for Ella to come and share with us their story and their ideas for change which are innumerable and fantastic and yes thank you again to Ella please enjoy this episode and keep sharing the word on social media and thank you to everyone that has supported the podcast so diligently our instagram is at tmdta podcast Ella welcome to the podcast how are you doing today hi thanks it's uh, it's great to be here um i'm i'm doing okay I think you know how it is nowadays is anyone really fine but like I'd say (laughs) I'd say things are going okay I'm seeing a physiotherapist tomorrow you know life can't be that bad goodness me in person (laughs) yeah my back I mean my back is messed up so I was like please fix me I'm really sorry have you got um cushions set up or something yeah yeah no I'm all fine I've got um it's not it's uh it's mostly just like I can't breathe properly because my upper back is so like knotted but I'm looking Uh, forward I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what um Darren the physio says (laughs) (laughs) yes Darren yeah so I would love first of all Ella if you could introduce yourself to the podcast 
And first of all, we tend to talk about um, your musical journey because this is a musician's podcast, first and foremost. So if you could start with introducing yourself, who you are, and then your musical journey and what you're up to at the moment. Sure thing. Um, So yeah, I'm Ella Taylor. Um, I'm a freelance classical soprano. Uh, My pronouns are they, them in terms of like adult studying I uh, studied at the University of Sheffield got my degree in music there then went to the Royal Academy of Music to get my master's then had a classic freelance year out where I was a bit scared then I went to the National Opera Studio for a year um, and then Covid happened and now I'm back being a freelance soprano but I think it's going a little better than the year I've I had previously, which is a good thing, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing that it's got, got better in COVID. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, how at the moment, what are you kind of up to? If that's, if that's <laughs> even a question, <laughs> what would you be up to? Yeah, that is definitely, it's an interesting question, right? Um, I mean, I will say that things, you know, have been quite dry um but uh i i started teaching this year which is perhaps why things have gone a little better financially um because i'm actually earning some money mm. um but also i've just been actually recording other things i was on um uh jess yeah jess gillam's uh this this classical life uh which was quite fun but that was like last year um, I recorded some, I've recorded some new, some new work inspired by COVID, which was like messing around on Zoom and trying to basically trying to break Zoom, which was super fun. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'd say, I guess I'd say the thing that has happened to me most recently, which is actually exciting, is that I uh, came second in the Kathleen Ferrier Awards, which is mm. a singing competition uh, held here in uh, in the UK, um, which I really wasn't expecting. So it was a nice surprise, both uh, in terms of my career and also financial situation. Um, well, congratulations. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Was, was, was that at the Wigmore Hall this year? No, uh, sadly, uh, the Wigmore wasn't available. Um, so we actually held both the semi-final and the final in the building where the first round of auditions were, which was the Henry Wood Hall. Um, oh, right. Okay. It's uh, it's where the um, I think it's where the London Philharmonic Orchestra uh, rehearse. Maybe don't quote me on that. <laughs> Hope um, so. Otherwise, I'm going to come after you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, there's a big library of orchestral scores. So um, and um, but the, yeah, the hall's really nice. It's got a nice acoustic. Like I d- I think it would be impossible to sound bad in there, which was quite is always a treat, you know. <laughs> So was everything kind of locked down when that, what, what month did that happen in? Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was filmed in November and then shown, shown in like mid December. Um, yeah, everything was definitely, uh, locked down, but like the venue was really COVID secure. I was sanitizing my hands like crazy and wearing masks when I wasn't singing. Um, and uh, yeah, everything was really like slick and professional um yeah well that sounds that sounds so cool so if people want to listen to you perform how how do we watch this uh so i don't think the uh videos the videos are available on the kathleen ferrier awards page anymore but you can check out my youtube channel for at least one clip um and you uh, and you can also check out my agent's channel. Uh, that's James Black Management. I think he has a load of videos of me doing my thing. <laughs> you, you could check that out. Shameless plug. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we haven't got much else to do. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. That, that's, that sounds amazing. So in terms of your work as a singer, it's it's just really interesting because you don't have a typical kind of singer sort of path in partly because of your journey with your sort of gender identity and and identifying as non-binary so at what stage did you feel in your life that you did relate to a sort of different gender expression and could you talk about your journey with 
with all of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting. I, I always class my um, sort of uh, transition, as it were, beginning when I was about uh, 19 or 20 is when I really started sort of publicly expressing those thoughts and trying to tell, you know, friends, family and partners all about it. Um, but like, I think I've, I, I think I'm of the opinion that, you know, once, once a trans, always a trans, um, mm. uh, like I, I have a really vivid memory of being 10, um, and telling everyone to call me Alfie, um, and like just refusing to be addressed as Ella or addressed as, as a girl. Um, and I think, uh, the only reason I stopped doing that is because I went to secondary school and I was scared of not fitting in as mm. we as we all so often are um so then that led to a lot of um uh, years of uh, not confused lesbianism because I'm definitely a lesbian <laughs> but like <laughs> that, that sort of came first and then sort of like through just social media I guess things like I mean I was a tumblr teen unashamedly um like Tumblr, Instagram, a bit of Twitter maybe later on sort of led me to like actually understand that you don't have to be like just a man or a woman. There's like, I mean, it's not even a space in between. There's just space for you to hold whatever you want your gender to be and whatever your pronouns, whatever pronouns you want to use, um, which I just thought was really cool. And I was like, well, I'd Mm. much rather sort of live in a space that is either ungendered or not binary gendered um, than sort of live in a space that is so dictated by like societal gender roles, I guess. Mm. I, I think that's, that's just a brilliant way of explaining I think what a lot of people I've heard talk about this idea of actually we want to be able to get to a space ideally there wouldn't really be a gender construct it would be kind of people just are rather than having to declare you're either this or this and have all these kind of expectations for yourself next to um a gender absolutely no I um I'm really yeah of the opinion that like but it's really interesting. I think quite a lot of trans people feel like this, even if they identify as trans men or women, you know, it like, yeah, ideally you just shouldn't have to be in that space where like, you're like, well, I'm a woman. They're like, but what does that actually mean? You know, and how much of being a woman is just, has just been decided by years of, well, you know, patriarchal power structures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, that's quite a deep conversation. And it's partly why I think some people I know, you know, don't even like the term, uh, using the term non-binary, which I think is perfectly valid. I personally interchange between non-binary and just trans because, um, like, it implies that there is a binary gender s- system, mm. um, which, which there is, I suppose, you know, obviously, constructively speaking. But if we're actively fighting against that, then using language that still kind of pushes that, is, is that really what we want? It's a very interesting conversation. Yeah. For so many people, um, like gender is a journey, not a destination. Um, mm. Oh God, I was really going to write that, that down. That was great. Oh my God. Aha uh-huh, moment. <laughs> <laughs> wow, pen it, pen I am. It. I literally am. Not, oh. not even. Got my red pen and it's going on the paper. Not copyright. A copyright. Ella Taylor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I, th- it's, uh, I think it still stands. It's the same way that I think all, you know, sexuality as well is a journey, not a destination. You can't, if you land, if you just have decided to land in one place, then you're just denying yourself the beauty of so many experiences that are liberating from that kind of the confines of whatever you choose, whatever you want your gender to be. Um Mm. But I mean, talking, I think this is a lot of the resistance that I hear from maybe older people or whatever. And I'd love to hear the resistance that you hear and the misconceptions that you hear. But a lot of the time I hear that, oh, people are just choosing to be whatever they want nowadays. But in terms of it being a choice, how have you felt 
your gender expression? How how did it come about? Kind of did it feel like a choice or did it feel like becoming? Yeah, so talk yeah. about that. Sorry, I don't know. If <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> You're all good. Um, I mean, you know, it's an age-old argument that I think really um, just stems back to the huge homophobia of the of the um, 1970s and 1980s. Really, you know, oh well, it, they're just choosing, choosing. They're being difficult, you know, um, and it's like, well, if honestly I wouldn't really choose to make my life as difficult mm. um if I if I had a choice I'd like I'd just sort of get on with it um you know no no person chooses to be the subject of bigotry I, I think there's definitely always a choice in how you want to how you want to label yourself but again that's always in flux and I think people mm. get I think maybe what older people don't like is that people are allowed to change their minds um, if I just suddenly turned around and was like, well, actually, I, I don't know, I, um, I want to use he, him pronouns now, please. And people would be like, oh, but we've only just got used to the other ones. And I'd be like, well, oh, you haven't even done that really, have you? But I'm sure. <laughs> That's really interesting because it's like, I think maybe there's this culture of we have to same with marriage even it's like well you made this commitment so you're stuck now and it's like mm. really like do I have to live my life in this much sort of discomfort and yeah. sort of pain I and mean, like trappedness <laughs> that's the uh, that's the cis heterosexual nightmare really isn't it i mm. mean you know i it's 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 why so many transgender non-conforming like queer people if i may well i'm allowed to use the term i am one um so um, <laughs> um so why so many people like that kind of reject those also those romantic idea ideas of like marriage is forever monogamy is the only way forward um how can we how can we possibly function without the nuclear family because like actually you hear people like everybody well I hear people talk about their marriages you know they're like oh the old ball and chain Mm -hmm. oh god I hate him and you're like wow that's such a weird way to talk about the person that you're apparently in love with (laughs) like that's so weird so true (laughs) true. if you love someone just love them and if you don't love them if you don't (laughs) love them just I don't know that's why divorce is illegal just get divorced it's yeah okay. it's, it's okay. just suffering and time yeah. like yeah I know that I feel this absolute same and it is just this kind of I think it's the absolute beautiful thing about the emergence of trans identities and and this whole spectrum of LGBTQ plus is like it's about saying actually you don't have to be stuck anymore you don't have to feel this sort of trapped you know the whole thing and it's the same even with body positivity it's like you don't have to feel that you're on this kind of path to diet culture doom Mm. because you don't fit the mold absolutely I mean Mm. you know really what we're talking about here (laughs) to get real deep is just undoing like hundreds of years of colonial thinking basically I mean it's definitely it's all white people's fault as these things so often are like you know this idea of like trans people have existed forever you know especially in indigenous cultures um and then you know people come along and white people come along and colonialize and then they say no no it's this it's this and this is how it goes and it's just like this and then no wonder in 2021 there's a huge fallout where people are sort of unhappy or feel the need that that change is important that you can't just remain this same old static um and i think that's why people get upset because it's it's challenging the status quo uh, but to be quite frank the status quo deserves to be challenged so if you could explain kind of identifying as both trans and non-binary which is maybe something that you do have to explain often what does that mean for you having both of those terms kind of to describe your experience sure um I think for me it it simply boils down to I'm really proud of being trans and I'm really proud of being part of the trans community and I don't want that to be erased in a way by not by not using that that word 
in like all its glory i guess mm. um like trans is kind of the umbrella you know just as like maybe queer as the umbrella above that if that's what you want to if that's a word you like using you know um and like you know then you have you know like maybe trans man trans woman uh two uh two spirit uh you know and then non-binary um and that you know and well, it's just umbrella after umbrella really mm. um but i i like using both or either um yeah just to showcase how it's, you know it's, it takes a long time to reach acceptance with your gender if it doesn't fit in with what um what we what you were assigned at at birth um but you know once you do it's great and i think you should just wear it wear that badge as proudly as you feel able to you mm. know yeah and also there's a, there's a thing about certain words that you kind of hear for the first time or you hear people talk about and you sort of think that's me you know what i mean it's like yeah, yeah that's me yeah <laughs> i like exactly. the ring of that word that fits that that yeah, explains yeah. how i feel like i think yeah and it's sort of like having to explain the ins and outs of that yeah yeah is, it's like yeah. yeah it's like people you know so often are like oh no labels no labels and I'm like but some people just really like their labels and mm. sometimes it's really important sometimes yeah like you say it's just the penny drops and you're like oh my god yeah that actually fits me perfectly so yeah but give it to me I, I want to wear it I want to have it <laughs> <laughs> perfect so can you say maybe a few things you have encountered and what you wish people knew from any generation what do you wish people knew about trans identity that's a, bit, that's a big question uh, lots to know i think particularly mm. particularly at the moment um because we're going through a big old uh, i think it's fair to say the trans community are going through a, quite a big uh, traumatic time because mm. particularly in the uk transphobia is absolutely rabid they're like a dog who won't give up a bone um i guess the most the most basic thing the most basic thing is that like trans people are also like they're first and foremost people they're just they're just people they're just mm. like trying to live their lives they're not here to upset you or i mean maybe some of them are and good for them but that's their prerogative um but you know they just like they want to do what everybody else does they want to you know get a job maybe get a cat i mean i want a cat um <laughs> and just and just uh, go to the shops go to the pub I mean, we can't do that anyway but like you know things that we normally do yeah um and that really their existence does not threaten a, cis, a cisgender person's existence in any way you're not you're not gonna be like irreversibly damaged if uh, a trans person enters your life you're just if anything your life will be enriched because you'll mm. learn something that you didn't know before and you'll probably come out of it <laughs> um a quasi expert on a whole host of other things because trans people have had to fight so hard to be heard that their feminism and their general kind of praxis is very intersectional mm. um also to any turfs out there um trans <laughs> trans women just want to have a piss and like have a poo they're not there to attack you in a toilet it's just that thing isn't it of ignorance and people not wanting to know so immediately putting this whole kind of putting their hand up and just saying no I, you know no that's just weird I don't, I don't want to know about that like that's you know just not wanting even to find out the real true humanity and how much they actually have in common with most trans people yeah you know? exactly yeah yeah it says a bit about the classical music industry, or at least kind of my engagement or lack of engagement with some of it. But I feel like trans identities have not had much space. And it feels like 21st century 
so far has been a time for sort of women composers and oh maybe we'll think about our woman conductor <laughs> you know oh. let's have a go at that see if that works and then if that works then maybe we'll consider something else yes yes the old uh, the old tokenism yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know the one <laughs> um i just would love for you to talk about how you've navigated being uh, a trans person in this profession which is you know so far behind yeah I think it it really speaks to how far behind as a creative art classical music is compared to like every other industry um like theatre or dance um or, well any number of things really um in terms of their inclusivity um the reason why is always the gatekeepers are the gatekeepers of people who want to see their own faces you know put out there um and then uh in an effort to look diverse they'll program one piece by a woman and then if you're lucky she might be black um and then if you're extra lucky she might be disabled um (laughs) ridiculous it's not really how to do things but anyway um so yeah, in terms of my own experience, um, it's been an interesting, interesting ride. Um, I didn't actually, I didn't actually come out like professionally until maybe three years ago, hmm. possibly, possibly three years ago, um, maybe four, mm. um, either either or really. Um, so you know, it took me a bit of time. Like I, I knew who I was, and I was pretty happy with it. Um, and you know, all my friends and family were referring to me as such, and yet I still was using um, she/her in all my biographies, and I wasn't wasn't really talking about it at all. Um, and part of the reason I did it is because I was just absolutely sick of it, <laughs> obviously, because it yeah. was really it was really like wearing me down. Mm. Um, but then also part of the reason I did it was just, unfortunately, whether I like it or not, I am going to be one of the first kind of visible uh non-binary people in in classical music um and i'm gonna have to talk about it which again i don't mind doing so i just kind of i was like all right well either i do or i don't and i I just sort of made the conscious decision that this is just something i had to do for my own happiness and also to just try and get some awareness Mm. out there you know um and then there was if a lot you know it took a it took a long time and it's still taking a long time for that kind of base level of of language just for me personally um because uh people don't really seem to understand the concept of using a singular they pronoun despite the fact that they will use it every single day of their life i mean i'm using it right now to refer to like the one person that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that can't exactly yeah. um uh you know um but i would say that people are a lot more uh kind of a, maybe a little bit more amenable to it like now than they were at the start um you know i've i've definitely had uh cases of uh my biography being edited without my permission in a concert and stuff which Ooh. has just been, has been um, a That's journey awful yeah I was Ooh, I'm really angry about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was uh furious I, I was I'm I was so also sorry I was also really upset obviously oh. um but you know uh, that doesn't happen anymore which is great partly because I <laughs> anytime I send a biography over I'm like send me any edits you make you cannot edit this without my permission um you know that's kind of the main hurdle that I've faced because you know I'm I'm quite in some ways I'm quite lucky you know I'm not I'm not a person of color I'm not I'm not disabled I'm very comfortably middle class like um the only the most annoying and horrible thing is that because I'm a soprano um I'm always read as a woman um and sometimes when that thought gets a bit overwhelming I'm just like well I'm going to be read as a woman for the rest of my life no matter how much I shout about it Mm. how does how does that feel though does is that something you've had to accept or is it something you want to sort of change? Um, I mean, I'm not bothered about Soprano, the characters being mm. women, um, you know, 
partly because to be frank the music's the music's absolutely banging so i'm fine um (laughs) there's a reason i'm choosing to be an opera singer it's not because i hate i hate it all yeah Um, i mean i'm all about kind of uh subverting and queering the canon but you know also some mozart trios really do have their place Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um so it's yeah i guess it's more the idea of i mean i i you know, I hate the way I hate the way classical music works in terms of talking about sopranos and mezzos compared to tenors, barriers and basses anyway, um, because the whole conversation is just steeped in sexism mm-hmm. and misogyny. You know, the soprano as uh, diva supreme, you know, um, can't can't get out of bed unless her rider has X, Y, Z, you know, um, um, it's just just a really unhealthy way of thinking and then the the tenors as these kind of wunderkinds because they can do weird things with their voices and baritones and basses being just absolutely incredible because they can make a sound is a real problem actually you know um sopranos and mezzos and altos are just it's like oh well they're you know they're women they can sing and um, women have always sung you know they sing lullabies to their little children blah 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 but if a man sings wow he's being so brave and so bold yeah. and so incredible we need I, more male singers yeah yeah, yeah 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 i just like wow i can't believe it um so you know that's that's an annoying thing excuse me i just also sang really well yeah. <laughs> but anyway you know that's uh, just a pet peeve that i have um no, but so then obviously in terms of that because it's so steeped in misogyny and sexism it means it's also very gendered um Mm. and unavoidably so um and yeah part of that will be that soprano characters are are women um but i've sung roles and i'm like looking into doing a role right now actually where the the soprano part is is not is not a woman you know the works like that exist out there granted they're all 21st century new commissions but they do exist um yeah so part of it is that but part of it is also just the 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 gendering of voices in general you know if it's high it must be if it's high it must be a woman which is not always the case i mean look at look at countertenors look at historically castratos you mean opera is queer af and i don't know why people are so obsessed with making it a box that is so small when it's ripe with any interpretation you want if you're imaginative enough to do it i mean it just kind of speaks to me how gendered it really is just based on everything you were saying i was like shit like (laughs) i've thought that (laughs) that is so true like the whole the whole thing is just so gendered and these oh wow these ideas of each voice part having a certain personality having a certain sort yeah. of stereotype and absolutely yeah everyone um, you know. loving to talk about that and all of the audience sort of loving to think about that and yeah I just I'm really fascinated to hear you know you have these kind of sort of frustrations and barriers I mean how does it feel being different in this profession does is it something that has ever made you question whether you actually want to be a singer Oh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd be, a, be a total lie if I didn't say so. You know, it's an, it's an immeasurably hard mountain to climb mm. um, because at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter how talented I am. Um, I don't know. If somebody wants a... I'm trying to think of a role that I would sing. Um, if somebody wants a Fjordaligi who has long blonde hair um, and wears a corset that really, like, shows off her boobs or whatever um then they're not going to be imaginative enough and look at me and think oh well that's definitely possible hair and makeup exist like that's what hair and makeup is for is to change your appearance that's why tv shows and movies and operas and plays um and dance have have them that's you know it's to change people's appearances <laughs> that's the whole point um you know i'll just walk in bang out come scoglio like you know like a boss it's one of my favorite arias to sing um but it wouldn't really matter because they've already perceived within the Mm. first five seconds of meeting me that i'm not right for the role so Mm. why bother even opening my mouth which is you know it's definitely a real thought that i've had um you know i'm quite lucky at the moment in that i've got 
um, because of the Ferrier, I've I've got an agent who is you know very sweet and very well, very diligent and hardworking. Um, but also, you know, we had a long conversation about things I would and well, it wasn't even a long conversation. Things I would and wouldn't be willing to do, and I was like, I don't care what I do for a part as long as it fits in with the character. You know, that's all that really matters. I don't I don't need every single character I play to be trans <laughs> like I'd actually actually I'd rather not I think it's really short-sighted to hire me and then be like mm. we're gonna do a gender-blind production of the turn of the screw and I'm like or oh, we could not like or, we could just, <laughs> like or it could just be or it could just be what it is that's fine too um it's like you know I just that's such a good point it, like Ella Taylor Soprano is not is not the same as Ella Taylor as is older you know like is older is is older she'll always be that Mm. that's absolutely fine and if you want to take that in a different direction that's fine but don't do it to try and appease me I don't need to be appeased about a role that like I want to be a singer I want to sing on stage I want to sing recitals too um and that you know and that way you can present yourself as yourself that's kind of what recitals are for your Mm. your characterization is are your own thoughts rather than you know a named character um because it almost yeah. divides you off greater to sort of think oh well you know we've got to tiptoe around and you know yeah. ed- edit this all it's sort of like oh shut up yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> let me exactly. be myself and yeah, yeah. have all of your constructs in place fine I'm excited about this role I'm going to come as myself hope that's okay instead of yeah I so get what you mean yeah that's so that's, interesting that's, that's exactly the point I mean you know I yeah, it um, it it actually really it really grates me um, because yeah. because I I am a soprano, therefore I will be singing like female roles. Like that is a fact, and I I didn't have to think about that when I was deciding what to do about my transness. I was still just I was just like, well, I'm trans. But more importantly, I'm a soprano. <laughs> like, mm. that's, like that's, I'm a musician, like, first and foremost. Yeah. That will always be the, as far as I'm concerned, the most interesting part of my personality. The transness is important, but secondary, particularly when it comes to the art that I'm making. Oh, I just, I love listening to you talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so, like, real and... Ah, I just hope people listen and really understand that this is so who you are Mm. and that how important it is, yes, that you're vocal about your transness, but also that it doesn't take away, it's not secondary or, you know, it doesn't take away from the art you are creating and you're still on that level of everybody else, every other musician who wants to perform these pieces to a high standard. and And that's not me saying that art shouldn't be transed or Mm. shouldn't be trans in itself you know I I think that's also really important and I well I (laughs) I went to a a a meeting um about diversity and inclusion in opera you know I like shouted my head off I I love talking about I I love talking about all that stuff I'll talk about it till the cows come home and I'm really I'm desperate to make the changes in opera that need to happen Mm. um but I could also maintain my artistry you know, those those things can coexist alongside each other, I think is probably uh, the most important thing for me. But have you found, or is this kind of something that has always been really strong with both your identity and being a singer? Or was there any time where you did feel kind of dysphoric in any way about always going somewhere and being a a female character? Um. So I'll tell you what really helped with that Mm. um, is that I went and got myself top surgery um, and then those problems disappeared because I was no longer hating my own body. Mm. Um, You know, it's really, it's really easy to feel dysphoric about a character you're playing when you're so unhappy in your own body because of its perceived femininity. Um, But then once I removed the, Thing, <laughs> removed the things that were making me so um, uncomfortable um, 
both physically and mentally. Um, I was, well, A, I, I mean, it was commented on by several of my friends that I really was just a different person in myself mm, because yeah. I was happy <laughs> for like probably the first time ever. Um, but, but then you bring that confidence into your singing, therefore your singing is better and your acting is better, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. So it's like you becoming more yourself then makes everything else just more free in because you're not thinking first about your own appearance and then about the character yeah yeah exactly yeah it's um yeah Yeah. one one for me has enabled the other which is great that's that's brilliant and I mean being as sort of successful and kind of up and coming as you are becoming and everything and having this kind of identity along with it and wanting to be yourself in the profession being involved with the National Opera Studio and I mean I've been to a couple of events with the National Opera Studio and it's clear they have so many kinds of donors and people that are really alongside the whole organization and people that give a lot of money and are very dedicated to it I mean how how do you how have you felt and how have you navigated meeting donors who might have more traditional views or might not understand your identity. How has that been? How how do you put that across to someone that clearly will find it difficult to understand? Yeah, um, that's a really interesting question. And, you know, um, I'm I'm always, I will always be grateful for the donors that have helped with my time at the National Opera Studio. Um, but mostly, actually, what helped in that situation was the studio itself and the staff at the studio. Um, you know, before I arrived, we had, you know, a series of emails um, about how to sort of introduce me and the concept of me to not only the donors and sponsors, but also the music staff. You know, it, mm-hmm. that's also another maybe not entirely separate issue. Um so you know um the c uh, the ceo emily like sent out an email to everyone just sort of sent the draft past me first obviously um you know just explaining who i was um what my pronouns were and then what i added uh was how those pronouns work in a sentence i gave two direct examples of how to refer to me a like well basically when I'm not in the room essentially you know uh where's Ella oh they're in the kitchen um how's Ella today oh they're all right they're a bit tired you know something like that um just to just to show that it because some people are like well do I say there there is or do I say there are and I'm like well you do understand how a sentence works don't you so <laughs> you understand grammar so you understand yeah. this <laughs> singular they singular they works like plural they but it is singular yeah that's yeah you got it it's good <laughs> um and i have to say that like mostly you know um i i get the impression that people were a little scared to talk to me partly because they were so afraid of getting it wrong which i think mm. is really real and what i would say is that like yes I don't want to um, say that getting it wrong is fine because it's, it's not, and it hurts. You know, I've, I've shed many tears in, you know, meetings and coachings or more likely after meetings and coachings, you know, because of things that the way I've been um, referred to. Um, But if you don't, if you, if you don't make the mistake, then you can't learn from the mistake and correct yourself in future. Mm. Um, you know, um, is what, I mean, I, I didn't say that to them at the time because I was also nervous, you know, I was sort of a new, new kid on the block. I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess anything up by saying the wrong thing either. So I think going back now, I'd probably just be like, I talk to, I'm a nice person. You can talk to me. I'm not going to bite your head off. I will firmly correct you and stop you from apologizing 15 times because when you apologize 15 times, it becomes about you and yeah. not about and not about the mistake you've made um you know really? I, I you know I, I you know um when people have had a glass of wine or two they tend to get a bit more free with their questions um as I get free freer with my answers also <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah it, it's an interesting space to navigate because I think mostly people are just so afraid to make a mistake that they just mm. won't talk but it's much better to 
talk and make the mistake, say one sorry, and then we move on. And then I just correct you as much as I have to until you get to the point where you start correcting yourself. It's like all the, it's like learning a foreign it's like learning a foreign language or learning to read music for the first time. You just have to practice. Yeah. Like this language won't be innate to you, and that is fine. Mm. But that's why you practice. That's you know I have to yeah. practice. I didn't just come with like this innate knowledge of like what, how to use pronouns. That like, I have to think about it <laughs> too. Like you know, <laughs> if you've known a person for a long time, then you'll have known them by those pronouns whatever they might have been those old ones so to get used to new ones takes a bit of time mm. um and also you know in the society that we live in it also takes time and practice because things are so binary in the way they're um like presented um so it's okay that these things take time and it's mm. okay that mistakes are gonna happen um but you have, just have to, people get so offended when they're called out for their mistakes. And like, maybe instead of getting offended and angry, you could just be, you should just be like, yeah, okay. I like, I messed up a bit there, but it's not about me. It's about the comfort and like basic human rights of the other person. So I can, yeah. I can, I can be a grown up and I can just move on, you know? <laughs> It's about, it could be about anything, you know, and the place I'm working at the moment, I'm called out a lot for moving something to the wrong place or doing, and every time I'm sort of like, oh, I have a bit of, you know, like, oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, why did you tell me that? Like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Like, I'm not, yeah, not yeah. like that, but, you know, we do no, have no. this kind of like reservation sort of, I don't want to be told I'm wrong, but it's like, you are wrong. There's yeah. nothing, you know, it's nothing, I don't hate you because you're wrong, but you are. And you yeah, yeah. Get it right, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's just that, like, we all have it, you know. Like, if yeah. I, I don't know, if I like burn a pizza, you know, and then my partner's like, "You burnt the pizza," and I'm like, "No, I didn't." <laughs> just like, but you did. Like, that's just a fact. Like, it's okay. Like, it's fine. Just like we all do it. It's just, just don't it's... do it again because you ruined yeah. my dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't eat this. Great. <laughs> yeah. So. Kind of to finish, I, uh, hmm, yeah, wow, I, I, I've just absolutely loved talking to you so much. But I, I have a big kind of question, which might be slightly annoying or a <laughs> lot to answer in not a lot long space of time. But where do you see the future of trans inclusion in classical music and in the arts? And kind of tied to that is. What can people do to be an ally? What can musicians do to be an ally to non, uh, non-binary and trans people? Mm. Um, so I guess the first thing that I would say is that annoyingly, change is slow. Yeah. You know? Progress is slow because you, you have to, like, fight against hundreds of years of tradition regardless of what sector you're in but as we've discussed previously particularly classical music so therefore I would say that the way that cis musicians could be better allies is by just like picking up some of that legwork to make Mm -hmm. the changes easier and make them shorter and make them smoother you know it's not it's not up to the minority or the oppressed party to to educate and enable the change all the time because that emotional labor is really exhausting um and quite frankly when you have to live through the emotional labor of just like living your life sometimes you don't want to like fight for an hour with people about like having gender neutral restrooms like <laughs> You know, you're just like, well, okay, I'm tired. Like, um, so, you know, just take up, take up the torch. If I, if someone needs to pass it to you, if they can't, if, if that other person can't physically or mentally do it for a bit, like, um, I think that's just always the most helpful thing to do. Um, and if you really, if you really believe in, you know, being, being an ally to the trans community and um, <laughs> being a good person, then, you know, fight, 
fight yeah. intolerance where you see it don't don't just ignore it and pretend that it will just go away because you you're you're pretending it's not there you know um just be be brave and take a stand i know a lot of people are afraid to speak out because they don't want to I don't know, they don't want to lose any work or like they're afraid of upsetting the wrong people. But mm. um, maybe we should consider that like people like that shouldn't hold positions of power if they're going to use it in a way that is derogatory and um, full of kind of hatred and bigotry. Totally. And I, I mean, there's one part of being an ally that is circulated a lot. And I'd like to know how how does it feel to you when, for example, someone sends an email or you go on their Instagram bio and you see that they've put their pronouns there. Does, do you feel more recognised by seeing that? Do you think it's important that people do that? Uh, so, yes, I, I do. I feel, a bit, I feel a bit funny about it, only because I think people think that they don't have to do anything else once they've done that. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, so that's, that's the only reason why I feel funny I about see, it. Yeah, um, yeah. But that... The whole process and point of cis people putting their pronouns in their bio or whatever um, is to make trans people just feel less othered. Yeah. You know, it's so intense to, like I was, you know, I've been in meeting rooms uh, bef before, you know, in this like the pandemic on Zoom and stuff where like, you know, in a room of like 50, I'll be the only one with their pronouns in their Zoom name. Um, and that's because I have to have them there. Otherwise I'll get misgendered. Whereas like, if you all just put it there, then, well, you know, I'll probably still get misgendered, but at least I won't feel quite as alone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so I, like, I think it's also, it takes no time out of your day to do it really. Like, okay. yeah. you know, you can just, it's, it's the most basic and semi-decent thing you could do as an ally. And it takes up no space a in your bio or your email signature or whatever and it takes no space up in your brain because like you know what your pronouns are so go for it um oh and also i would say um anyone who puts joke pronouns in their bio is a fucking disgrace thank you <laughs> <laughs> absolutely go for you can, it you can uh, you can edit that out if you want to but no, I was just... because i think it's important you say that what shall I finish with? Gracious me, I'm sidetracked now. Can't remember. Maybe I'll just say thank you. <laughs> you like, I don't, I don't mind. You said some amazing things. I just don't want to ruin it by like <laughs> wittering on about crap. So, <laughs> Ella, thank you so so much for your incredible um, conversation today. It's been lovely to talk to you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's been yeah, really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, and if people want to keep up to date with your awards and amazing <laughs> things you're up to you know, on Zoom and otherwise, um, mm. how do they do that? Oh, well, wow. Now you, now you've <laughs> uh, you, can, you can look at my website, ellataylorsoprano.co.uk, if you're that way inclined. Or, um, you know, if you can't be bothered with that because it's a bit of effort, you can find me on Twitter, at E. Taylor Soprano, Instagram, also at E. Taylor Soprano, and on SoundCloud, which I think is also E. Taylor Soprano, <laughs> and uh, also on YouTube, but like, you know, I, I feel like my Twitter uh, witterings are probably my most fun. Okay, Twitter's <laughs> the one then. Well, thank you so, yeah. so much. It's been great. Yeah, thank you very much.